Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing Tech Whisperer. Well, welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you back and especially to meet somebody very special today, Avi Durr, who's a rich career journey, having been the chief digital officer of a Fortune 50 company, a co-founder of a tech startup where he was also the chair and also on the board of an airline. And while these things are incredibly impressive, what I've come to learn about Avi, what makes him truly special is his quiet calm and his genuine humility. For the past four years, Avi's been the chief information and technology officer in the EVP of global technology for Chicago-based TransUnion, a global information and insights company. And while most companies struggle with data and insights, uh, this company is serving more than 65,000 customers with their 12,000 associates across more than 30 countries and five continents. So that's, that's scale uh, that most of us can't appreciate. So Abby, welcome to you. Thanks for joining us today. And I'd love to have you start off by talking about part of the promise, part of something that's very special to TransUnion, which is we make trust possible in the modern economy. So Abby, take it away. When we talk about um, making trust possible, you know, we're really talking about getting fair representation for consumers in the marketplace. Um, and specifically, what happens is that uh, you know entities and uh, companies and consumers have to interact with each other, um, and and they have to take risk um, on interacting. And um, you know whether it's a lender or or whether it is a uh, insurance provider, uh, you know, we always have um, uh, the risk of uh, one, the risk of um, the the transaction not ending up the way we want to, and second, that the person who's interacting might not be who they claim to be in this modern digital world. Um, so that's where uh, we come in, and our mission is to. <clears throat> have empowered consumers in today's economy, which is very tech-driven, um, to be able to represent themselves fairly so they can get access to people who want to take risk on them. And, um, and what we do is that we make sure that their information, their data, their transactions are safely and securely represented in the marketplace, right? So that's how we think about trust. Um, and then the other thing to really think about trust is that, um, uh, in today's distributed, remote, you know, Zoom environment, uh, the importance of trust um, has significantly increased. Uh, not just so companies can interact, but just so consumers can, can be comfortable that they're going to be, you know, their identities are not going to be impacted, that they're going to be represented fair. Uh, that's that's our that's our scope, um, and we're in. 
in 30 odd countries. You know, we are in the bureau business, we're in the insurance business, we're in the fraud mitigation business. Um, that's what we do. I love it. Yeah, that's a that's a big uh, it's a big remit there. A lot of uh, complexity, and I want to share you know something I've heard recently from good friend. Uh, he's a Hall of Fame CIO, Vipin Gupta. Um, shared that you know it's it's no longer a matter of fighting for a seat at the table, right? He said today it's about as the CIO, the chief T- digital officer. How do we get all C-suite leaders to the new digital table, and and kind of flipping the the script there? So, what does that mean to you? And where's TransUnion in that journey, Avi? Yeah, you know. Um... First of all, I, I feel uncomfortable being sort of in the same sentence as um, as Vipin, but um, you know, I think the way to think about it is um, in in terms of sort of how how value is created in sort of the capitalist society that we live in, right? So we we have um, in every sort of capitalist system a, a, a contraption in which you can put capital and it, it throws out cash causes expenses and a little bit of profit. And the better it does it, the more valuable that contraction becomes. And each one of these contraptions is a business. And, you know, you might say, uh, um, you know, in the Stone Age, the the wheel that ground out your, your grain was that contraption and then, you know, Bronze Age, Iron Age. In the digital age, that contraption is fully digital. Now, the entire business is comprised of digital technologies. From electronic bill presentment and payment, to how we do our HR, to how we reach our consumers. Um, you know, each one of these functions now, you will hear from technology providers has the word digital in it. And so, um, you know, you could contend this whole contraption that is a modern corporation is fully digital. Um, and so, um, so uh, you know, so, so that's kind of how you have to think about it. And if you think about it that way, then um, how can you, the only reason you would need a chief digital officer is because your other executives are not digital enough. They, they might have a more orthodox point of view. Um, and that's sort of, that's the, the highest level perspective, I think. And, and my, my uh, perspective really is that uh, one of the things that, that is my personal sort of uh, agenda item and say, is CIO even the right title? Well, because, you know, CIO comes from uh, the person responsible for information technology. Information technology is a concept that's 30 years old. It's, it's cost side managed by the CFO because we had to have computers for people. Today, in any company, you have that function, and, and we have a fantastic CIO, Munir. Um, and uh, Munir Hafez is, is ridiculously good, uh, and and focuses on the tech that we put in front of our associates. Is it easy? Does it make their job better? You know, do, does it give them superhuman capabilities or not? And it's not about back office. It's like, does it make their experience better or not? Okay, that's the CIO function. And then um, any company has at the top of the funnel uh, the responsibility to engage customers through digital ecosystems because all of our consumers, all of us, are now digital. Right, um, and then many products are digitally enabled, whether it's e-commerce or or whatever. In our case, all products are digital, um, and so then there is this function called 
engineering, which is different from IT. These people are completely focused on generating revenue. And, and I don't care what you do. Even if you sell shampoo, there are people completely focused on digital technology trying to drive revenue, whether it is digital marketing, whether it's your e-commerce side, there are people and, and that's engineering. Um, and then further, um, since we live in the world we live in, with cybersecurity, we have a whole separate function called information security and engineering for information security. Um, and so we, we really have to sort of think about this whole concept differently. Um, and, and that's kind of how I, um, that's kind of how I react to, um, you know, getting all C-suite leaders to the digital table, uh, if you're doing that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a little old fashioned because everything, everything has changed, um, in the entire world. Is that? Yeah, very helpful. And, 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 you know, just small point, but. It's the reason why we rebranded this podcast. It was originally called CIO Whispers, and today we've rebranded it Tech Whispers because the roles that you all play are multifaceted. They're bigger. You're the chief information and technology officer, plus you do other stuff. So yeah, I totally get it. And in that environment, Abby, what does uh, what does strategic planning look like today? How do you facilitate that? Yeah, you know, strategic planning is, um, <clears throat> for our process, it's evolving, uh, you know, given, given the pandemic, and I, just like any other company. Um, what that really allows, uh, involves is a couple, couple, three things, right? So you have to really think about what our strategy is, right? Relative to competitors, relative to, especially these days, macroeconomic circumstances, and then, you know, societal norms changing, people working remotely, et cetera. Um, you know, how do we get um, data and algorithms to people who make risk decisions in the financial services industry? And how do we get them, the products that they get today, with better efficacy? And how do we build new products that make their lives easier? Because at the end of the day, Dan, um, we, we live by the promise that customers who choose us over the competitors will have better outcomes. And, and so if we're going to do that, you know, we sort of have to think about it end-to-end, -end. that's like job one, right? The job one of a corporation is to make money. And, and so we, we, so we got to do that. And then, you know, how do we launch new products uh, either to, to take care of new market opportunities or as, as the macroeconomic environments change, for example, in our fraud space, how do we provide better solutions for fraud medication? Um, which is thing like, you know, if the device your consumer is using uh, a device that is suspect, um, are they who they purport to be based on the information that they're providing? So that when you transact with them, it's with trust, but it's all digital. You can no longer tell somebody, hey, come into the branch and fill out a form. So, so you know, so we think about that, uh, what the implication of that is going to be. Then we think about if we do all of this, how much money do we have? How much capital do we want to spend from our stakeholders? And what our operating expense looks like, because we're a high growth, high margin company. Um, and then, you know, once that's the reason to exist. And then we sort of come into that and say, okay, you know, we're going to have to spend stuff on infrastructure because we're getting a lot of orders or something is old. You know, we had new teams. We, you know, like everybody, we had a tech uh, attrition issue over the last two years and then something is changing around us. Um, and that's kind of how we do it. And, and it involves me talking to uh, my corporate colleagues in finance and HR legal, um, you know, talking to the lines of business on what are we selling, what's happening, what's from a revenue point of view. 
and then putting it all together in a three-year plan and you know dovetailing that into a capital investment plan for the next year because that's money we're taking away from our shareholders so so we have to put that trust into it and then you know um how the operating expenses are going to flow um so that's how it works for us and then i take that away and say okay what does this mean from a tech point of view and within tech we really only spend money on two things um you know most of our money we add up capital and operating expense in any standard tech company between 65 to 70% of the dollars we spend is on people and the rest is on non people people are employees and contractors and then non people is stuff we pay the software providers or cloud providers etc um and all we got to do is go go figure out how these people resources are going to get decked on the things we want to do and how do we make sure that the constant inflation from these tech providers doesn't erode our margin because then we can't be a people or can't have enough people because we got to pay these guys it's simple really <laughs> you make it sound so easy Avi. i appreciate that oh it's not easy it's just simple <laughs> to think about <laughs> yeah no i like that perspective too about you know the uh the capital plan that's money we're taking from the shareholders so you think oh, about that in a, in a very unique way and the other thing that I think you, part of your secret sauce, part of your gift, Avi, is uh, your clarity and your vision around transformation. And, you know, one of the most overused words of 2022, right? We could probably argue that, but um, what is transformation to you and what is it not to you? Yeah, so I think, um, <clears throat> you know, if you really sort of think about um, how we're actually looking at transformation, right? um and why we're doing it um so so transformation um involves multiple things so so first is we have to actually transform our technology okay then second we have to transform our organization the and then third is we have to make sure because we started with trust that whatever we do we remain trustworthy, uh, whether it's information security, cybersecurity risk, et cetera, okay? So, so I have to look at these three dimensions from a transformation point of view. And um, in our transformation, um, you know, we don't just contemplate tech transformation. So, so our transformation isn't, we're gonna use the cloud. That's not, you know, um, that would be akin to saying, um, for somebody who's building a house, for them to say, I'm going to use my hammer and completely ignore the fact that they're building a house. So, um, so, so technology transformation has layers. The first one is we have to transform our infrastructure to be more aligned with the modern reality, which is a multi-cloud hybrid infrastructure. This is not rocket science, right? So if we stay on, on, on-prem, we're going to get higher unit cost for utilization. Why are we going to get that? Because we cannot compete in procuring, managing, and running infrastructure at the same scale and competence as Google Cloud, Amazon Cloud, and Microsoft Cloud. Which we're not, you know, they're in a gunfight, and you know, we don't want to enter that. I mean, they have robots that change data center equipment, and you know, so they will do it better than us, and they will do it cheaper than us, and they can even afford a margin and still be cheaper than us. But it's not just about cheaper; it's more available. And then um, under that infrastructure layer, 
um, over that infrastructure layer, we're building common components. So instead of having a application tied to a particular business purpose, we're creating common components that can be used across multiple places. Um, and these components um, live on top of any kind of infrastructure, cloud or, or on-prem. Uh, and it may include um, services that are provided by our cloud service providers like Google and Amazon. And then above that, it's a set of services that we can use to create a solution or a product for a particular marketplace, right? <clears throat> and there's a significant utilization of open source software. There's significant utilization of our own code, which is proprietary, and we have several, several patents around it. Um, but then this becomes transportable. And, and when you do that, um, you know, a couple of things happen. One, things don't fail differently every which way. Things don't have um, multiple security issues every which way. Uh, it becomes more uniform and we can manage it. And people can go from one part of our company to the other, not sort of have be stuck. Um, and it becomes more cheaper and efficient. We can get stuff done faster. So that's the tech transformation. Uh, but it's also the people transformation. So, so think about it. Um, we hire somebody in 2020, right? COVID, right? And we're just coming back to the office. So this person who's been in the in the workforce now for three years has no notion of the how corporations used to work in the olden times. So we come in and they come in and they've heard everything that Elon Musk is doing and, and they come into your job in your company and we tell them, all right, dude, your job is going to be um, work on this computer that is 30 years old, code that is 15 years old, um, and you're going to babysit it all night. It's going to run. In the morning, you're going to go see what failed, and you're going to go fix it. Uh, so in a talent-constrained environment, that is what we're going to tell a smart engineer who's been three years in the workforce. What? What? <laughs> so... Um, so we really need to create an opportunity where the best talent wants to come in here and work, right? So they have to have meaningful work. That's why this transformation is important. They have to line up with our mission. And then the kit we give them, the computers we give them, and how they work has to be similar to what they were doing three years ago when they weren't in the corporate world, right? And, and so how do we think about the associate experience? Because our 99% of an employee's associate experience in 2023 is digital. It's Zoom and this, that, and the other thing. So we have to think about that. And, and when you do that, the best talent wants to work for you. In a talent-constrained environment, if the best talent wants to work for you, you win. And, and so that's sort of the most important thing. And then if you do all of these things and you have a security breach or a cyber incident or a notification incident, et cetera, um, you, know, you destroy shareholder value. The most important thing, if you don't do these things, if you're not stable, if you're not available, if you have security incidents, if you're not doing all of these things, remember the talent I talked about, that great talent that you hired? Now, instead of doing what they want to do, they're responding to audits, regulatory compliance, fixing security issues, availability issues. It's just life gets very boring. And that's all your teams are spending your time doing. So that's transformation. Um, it is to be able to do meaningful work for the smartest people in the easiest way, such that we deliver value to our customers faster in a highly available, secure way. And, and if everybody did it, it would be easy. That's why we have to transform in order to be able to achieve that. I appreciate that perspective and the multiple dimensions, uh, Avi, and 
You know, I'd like to pivot one of the special features of this podcast. We call it the mystery questioners. And we've got a couple of people from uh, who've been in the trenches with you and they were really, uh, really pleased to be able to participate. Uh, they think they think the world of you. So let's listen to the first question. And we come back, tell us who this is, uh, the work you did together and and have some fun with your questions. So let's let's check it out. So, Abby, one of the things about your time at WBA, which greatly impressed me, was the way you handled reorganizing the department as you assumed responsibility for IT. For context, at the time, the organization had become complex after years of growth in numerous directions. The restructuring was aimed at driving simplicity, reducing cost, and more importantly, increasing the velocity of introducing change. You not only completely redrew the organization from a blank page, but you also changed the ways of working, IT governance, and the IT operating model. Can you talk about how you approached this massive change while not disrupting so much in-flight work and operational responsibilities? I think that is Greg Michelini. That is absolutely Greg, uh, yes. yes. Yeah, he's, a, he's a good one. He's the CIO at Atletico. He, I had the great pleasure of being his supervisor. Um, he gives me too much credit. I, I was just going to say, you know, luck. Um, but, you know, Greg was there with me. And, you know, in that particular scenario, um, you, you know, a Fortune 50 corporation, you know, we were thousands of stores. And, you know, I had come, I was the CTO of the digital division, had been promoted into uh into the cio role and and one of the things that we need to do was we needed to to shape the cost kegger down so that we could you know meet our margin goals and generate some cash for some some transformative transformative investments that we needed to make in the business um and and um also what happens with organizations is that after a period of time uh, especially in corporations once you create a particular thing to solve a particular problem, after a while, it sort of has a life of its own. So, so every department you create, now they need more people, so people have people to report, so we can, directors can become VPs, and VPs can become SVPs, which is, which is totally fair. That's, I mean, that's what we do as human beings. And, and you know, if anybody has a path to do that, they, they are really averse to changing that. And, and we are the most numerous species, I think, but maybe not. But we are a very successful species on this earth because we are adaptable, and that's what we do. Um, and so, really, the the remit was shape the cost down, restructure it, and try to be more nimble. Um, and and we did that. And 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 I think what what uh, Greg is referring to is um, two or three things I did right away. I I um, used to bring the entire leadership team, and before I signed any contract or paid any bill, I used to ask them what is what it is about. And these are very senior executives who have thousands of people reporting to them. And uh, initially, it felt like it was uh, demeaning, um, but then, uh, which was not my intention. But um, after a while, all of us understood where we were spending money, what contracts we were signing, what was going on, how the money was flowing through our hands. And we all started asking better questions. And then, you know, a period of time, we, I, I had to, uh, you know, through part of restructuring, think about how to run IT. You know, I said, I'm going to draw a blank stream and, and see what are the functions that need to be done. Working with HR, we did that. And then we turn around and say, all, all of our people, who are the best to go into those boxes? Um, and it was unheard of uh, because nobody knew, um, you know, till the moment they all walked in in a rather dramatic fashion, whether they were in the team or not and, and who had what job. 
Um, but to this day, people come back and say, you know, that was correct uh, because it, it worked out from the new team culture. Last thing I would say from that experience was, um, you know, two things. One, um, they're daily stand-ups. And in daily stand-ups uh, in each of the divisions, digital, et cetera, the senior persons were there. And then if we found from the business that some issue was getting escalated, but it wasn't brought to that meeting where all the senior people were there for, for half an hour, typically below lunch, then we were like, it can't be an issue because you all know we're here for 30 minutes before lunch. You can bring up anything and we will, we will chase it down. But you don't come there. You only put it in the business review. So, so you're more interested in that as opposed to actually solving the problem. And we're not saying don't put it there, but at least tell us here so we can get started on it and get the problem fixed. So that took out a lot of you know, shenanigans. Um, and then the other one was we, we came up with this moniker called you know, Operate First. Uh, and, and I think WB at that point had, uh, had some other program calling, called One, O-N-E. And, and you know, given play on words, I said, you know, first we operate, which means systems shouldn't go down as often as they do. And when they go down, they shouldn't stay down as long as you because nobody's happy with that. And think about a mom in a drugstore with a sick child waiting to pick up a prescription and your system's down or slow. That ruins everybody's death. So um, can't go down and then stay down for a long period of time. That's like operate. Let's just operate our stuff at the highest level. Then we navigate. Okay, what else we got to do? What do you got to build? You know, what's coming down? Once we do those two things, then we can elevate. Then we can talk about, you know, machine learning and stuff like that. Um, but it's kind of goofy to be talking about machine learning if you can't even keep your systems up, right? Um, and so I think that's what Greg is talking about. And those are some of the principles. It's, it's from a while ago. But I have to say this, that I can say all of these things, but it's people like Greg Michelini um, who have the competence and the wherewithal to actually take that and execute it. And, you know, I'm so happy he's doing so well in his career. He is. He gives you a lot of credit. He said he learned so much from you, your leadership principles, which you are you stick to. Um, he said that in the new organization, you put him in a role that uh, he was hoping for a different role. And you put him in a role and he said, thankfully, Abby had the foresight to put me in a different role, stretch my skills. I would not be a CIO today if I hadn't been for him doing that. So he's He's appreciative of that. He's also appreciative of, he said, you're a pretty good debater. He, um, he said, you have got debate skills, and but you would do it at a peer-to-peer -peer level. You would not do it as his boss. Because I'm not. You know, we, we used to talk about it all the time, right? If six people or seven people get together, I, I don't care if you're making a meal, you know, one person has to take the responsibility of coordinating the other five people and making sure that the meal actually gets done. Um, so it's one of those people who has to do that job. So, you know, I think, I think we, we connotate boss and leader, uh, you know, uh, conflate those two, I'm sorry. Um, not every leader is a boss. Uh, gosh, most bosses are not leaders. So, um, I think, I think, uh, you know, anyway, sorry, I digress. That's good. No, that's really good. Uh, thank you, Greg, for that. Really appreciate him. And he was so enthusiastic to, uh, to share that, and you know, I mean, these um, these kinds of transformations are not for the faint of heart. These are these are hard, complex. Um, you got to push against a lot of things, right? But one of your obviousms that I really appreciate is 
I'm okay with things being a little messy. Yeah, I, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who said that. That's not a like a typical obviousism. Not in that way. And so, so I, um, I'm actually not okay with things being messy. But, but here's kind of what it is. It's, it's that when things are messy, that's where there is an opportunity. And oh, they're definitely not the big dog. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm weird, right? Like, I'm, and and a lot of people who work with me are are weird, right? Or like. Like in my house, if stuff is like messy, I'll be the guy who will fold all the blankets, put it away, because I just need everything in its own place. Um, but if everything is in its own place, I don't go mess it up. Like I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm one of those guys who's like, don't fix it if it ain't broke, right? Just let it run. Um, but when I find something messy, it's, it's a creative problem. It's a puzzle. Uh, and that's where the best missions are. Um, and so, uh the the way to do that is to come in and say well right okay we can't forecast our capital or and we can't spend all of it or you know we can't hit our margin numbers or we can't figure out why the system keeps going down and then you go in there and it's like well we don't track changes we don't communicate this we have no data uh you know and and yeah that's those are all fixable things that's like engineering heaven Okay, first we're going to put data in. Now we're going to organize this stuff. You're going to go do that. Oh, that broke again. All right, let's take a look at that. Um, and, um, you know, you jump out of bed every morning because there is this puzzle to solve. Um, and I tell everybody, like, that's when you're done, when your career is done, you're not going to remember, oh, I used to get these many dollars in my check and this is what my bonus was. Like, you know, you remember, remember that time? When that problem happened, and then we were all there, and then it was that, and we fixed it. That was amazing. It, that was amazing. My career is a sequence of that were amazing. And then when all hope was lost, and we didn't know what we were going to do, then we did that. Remember? And you go to any team meeting, anytime technical people, business people are having a drink outside of you know politics and, and you know gossiping about uh, the company. That's what they talk about. That's what makes career. So that's kind of what I, what I talk about. And, and then, you know, once we get started, like, don't make it a work apart. So the other thing I'll say, you know, I have a master's degree in engineering. One of the things engineers will do is, if you let them, is they will over-engineer it. Right? Like, so, so we can engineer outcomes, but without constraints, we will, like, over-engineer. Like, it'll be a group cardboard machine. Like, it'll have lights and flashing things. and. You know, so uh, it's so that's why you're gonna sort of have to because <laughs> it's done. Let's let's go on to something else. Yeah, great, great perspectives. And I know on this journey, you know, you've been very intentional about flipping the script, as you would say, changing the narrative. Um, we also talked about our mutual friend uh, Sanjeev Sahu, who's at uh, Ingram Micro. He's on the podcast. A few months ago, he talked about his role being a chief value officer, right? Uh, does that does that resonate with you in terms of how, I mean, you, you've been talking yeah. about shareholders and business and and so forth. So you know, Sanjeev's a you know friend of mine. He's kind of flamboyant, like larger than that. But that's not me. <laughs> so he's got gray hair, but, right? He's got this yeah, big he's hair. Got, yeah, he's got gray hair. He's got all these stories, and, and you know, <laughs> I'm not that. Um, and so. Um, 
you know, I think, I think, yeah, of course, right? Like, I think um, all corporations, uh, like I said earlier, are these contraptions to create value. And, and, and I think the reason Sanjeev says it that way is because we've had this parable of the boiled frog around us, right? We've, we've grown up almost without realizing um, that we've gone from tech being a back office to the richest man in the world. Uh, he might be crazy. Like, I don't want to take sides here. But, but you know, with, with Elon Musk being the CTO of multiple companies that he's also the CEO of. But it's kind of happened around us. And, um, and so, you know, a significant amount of value in every corporation is now being created by adept and expert use of technology. Um, and to the extent, you know, the company uh, executives are not experts and adept at using technology, then yeah, I mean, Sanjeev's extraordinary. He can, he can teach them, he can read them, he can fill in the gaps, et cetera. Um, and, and to that extent, I agree with him. But I, but I think the more important thing, I think, is how do we define value, right? So, so it's got to be valuable in a creative sense to the shareholders, right? Because they, we've taken their money. Like we take other people's money to run our company. And anyway, I, I take that. I take that very seriously. When you take somebody else's money to go run an enterprise, you got to do justice to it. And, and you got to return value to them, either in terms of shareholder accretion or, you know, TSR. You, like, you got to do that. And if you're a seed stage startup and you've taken other people's money, you still got to do the same thing. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. It's other people's money. And you got to make sure you get value for them. That's good. That's good. Abby, we have another uh, mystery question. Someone who uh, who knows your superpowers well. Uh, so let's listen in and uh, let's have some fun with this one as well. Hey, Abby, will be great if you can share with audience how global technology teams at TransUnion help move the business forward. That's Swati. <laughs> I can I can tell her from anywhere. She's she's another great one. Um, so, you know, I think um, I think that's a that's kind of a broad question, but but I'll I'll sort of talk about a couple of things. Um, so our business is is a data analytics business. So so you know it's it's kind of you know I hesitate to say a tech business uh, for multiple reasons. It's not good to be a tech business right now anyway. But but we never work. we're a data analytics business, and the biggest reason we call it that and not a tech business is because um, you know. Um, Tech is an ingredient in, in, in us to actually create those, those perspectives that allow this trust to happen between parties in the marketplace. And so um, when you think about it, though, half of the company, almost half of the company, reports up through me in the engineering organization across the world. And, uh, and uh, the currency of transaction between our customers and, and their consumers and us um, is tech. And, and so... I, I might, you know, um, even venture that from that perspective, we're, we're a significantly tech-dependent company, if not a tech company. Okay, um, so there is no moving the business forward <laughs> without without information technology. So a few things. One, uh, like I said earlier, um, you know, we've created a structure where um, every market that grows revenue has a dedicated CIO. Swati is one of them. Swati is focused on. The U.S. markets. We have one for our D2C business. We have one for our international business. 
Sean Ellis, uh, who is very similar feelings, like Greg Michelini, by the way. He, I pushed him into that job. He was like, I'm never going to be able to do it. And now he's the changed man as well. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, one for our um, fraud marketing and consult businesses. So these are market-facing people. Their job is to hustle, is to grow revenue. Um, but if we just stop there, they're all going, it'll be a lot of the flies. They'll do everything that they want and we'll have no commonality. Then we'll end up with stovepipes and, and, you know, all those problems, everything failing, all these audit things coming, smart people not wanting to work. So, so, so we got to corral them into some sort of a global structure. So on the other side, we have a global head of engineering, a CISO, you know, uh, Munir is our uh, information security officer for all of associate tech. And then, you know, we have architecture and global technology platforms trying to keep everything under control. And we have two dedicated executives for organization transformation and tech transformation. Because um, no, none of these guys can have time to focus on transformation because they've got this opposing pull. So that's how we structured. And in the board, we have a subcommittee, tech subcommittee um, that is focused on tech. Um, and then, you know, what, what I described to you in my strategic planning process is that we don't, you know, we don't talk about tech as a separate planning thing. We really talk about what we're trying to do in the restructure. So, so collectively, that's how we enable the growth forward. And then so many people work in tech, so many, that you can't get the culture of the company right if I can't get the culture of my organization right. And I can't get the culture of my organization to be different from the culture of the company. The culture of TransUnion Global Technology is the culture of TransUnion. And so it's very, very important that we focus on that. And I think just, I think maybe that's what Swati is asking you about. I took that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, Swati Shah, thank you so much uh, for the great question and the great work you do. And she went on to say, uh, talk about you, Avi. She just appreciates your, your humility. She appreciates your authenticity, she goes, in conversation, it doesn't matter if he's talking to five people, 50 people, or 5,000 people, he's going to be consistent. And, uh, you know, she really admires that about you. And, you know, one of the things that you're known for, you've talked about your people focus here a bit, but a couple of your obviousms that I think really special. One is, I've heard that you often sign off from your, like your all hands and your people meetings with, take care of yourself and take care of each other. And another one of yours is we are in the people business, not the technology business. Yeah, I um, I do. I I, um, I um, first of all, thank you to Swati. She's she's incredible, and she gives me too much credit. Um, I can say those things to those audiences because of the work they do. I'm just a hood ornament, but um, but I do I do say the so the first one I say all the time, uh, and here's why it, it, it's sort of super important. Like we forget. Because I talked about the, the corporation as this contraption that generates. We forget that that contraption is significantly made of people. A corporation primarily is a people organization structure, right? This how do we organize a, a group of people to generate value? Um, but we forget people. Um, and, and people are strange. They're not rational. They don't come to the same conclusion. They have... They have lives and concerns and fears and, and dreams. And, and you know, they are this thing that is, if you get right, magnificent. You know, the placebo effect shows you that people can do stuff. You know, Goggins, that they, they, you know, people are amazing. And people are 
terrifying and, and frustrating. And they are the primary component of our companies. In tech specifically, we spend most, most of our money on, on people, like I said earlier. And so um, if they're that important and they have all of these eso, esoteric characteristics, then the first thing I want to do is I want to appeal to their discretion to do what is right. And, and before I ask them to do that, I have to ask them to take care of themselves. A, a person who is overworked, a, a person who is worried about a dying mom or, or has, who has a child who is sick is a person who needs to go take care of that first. Um, and, and they need to take care of themselves. They're no good to anybody. They're not healthy if they're not all there. And, and they can do that if people around them power for them. You know, when she takes her child into the doctor and she's supposed to be on a call, you know, her colleague, her colleague can jump on and double for her. And we should actively go do that. And when we do that, um, you know, we, uh, we collectively become a stronger tribe. You know, we collectively become a stronger nation. And so it's very important to me uh, that, that we function like that and, and we create an opportunity. Uh, and I say we're in the people business, not the technology business, but, but I actually say we're in the people who know technology business. That's how we get technology done. And there aren't that many of them. There's a lot of people who work in technology. And then there is a subset that actually know what they're doing. And then there is an even smaller subset who know what they're doing and are actually fired up by the corporation to do the right work by a mission. Um, but there aren't enough tech people to begin with in the world. So like, how can you be, this is such people's discretionary, enthusiastic effort is the most ephemeral, precious resource in the universe. Uh, and it's my obligation to try to get it oriented. Sorry, I think I got a little taken away. I should calm down. No, that's, this is, uh, this is telling us your heart and what matters to you. And, you know, we could spend an entire podcast just talking about your people initiatives because you've got, you're very intentional there. And, you know, one, I, I would like to take a minute and have you just kind of share, because I think it's a real differentiator for people who work at TransUnion, and it's your, your developer experience. Can you just get the highlights of that program, Avi? Yeah, so, so developer experience really came out from uh, a bunch of feedback we got through the transformation activities. Um, you know, people were telling us this is what's broken, and then, you know, through employee engagement, and then I do skip levels. Uh, and then we do town halls and we get feedback and, and it was becoming very clear, especially as there was the, the tech, um, you know, uh, constraint, you know, it was becoming harder and harder to get tech people. Um, and a little bit for me, I'm a, you know, I used to be technical at one point and, and I can't relate with these young engineers. We're like in a different, it's like a, it's like a generation gap. And, um, so we all took it back and, and we said, look, we just need to focus on the developer experience. Um, because we hire these people, we pay them all this money, we bring them here, and then we make it so hard for them to do their job, whether it's information security or this or that or the other thing. And so, so we started this program called Developer Experience. It includes feedback. It includes um, a significant focus on friction and a very organized way of removing it. Um, and then, you know, we made changes to how easy it is to set up and onboard a new engineer. We made changes to 
how quickly can we find stuff that we need to do our job? How do we reduce context switching for engineers? And you know, how do we reduce fragmentation? And this is from them. This is developers saying, dude, this is so annoying. Can you please stop that? And, and so it's not focused on developer efficiency. This is focused on developer experience. And what we found is that if you focus on experience and just not like annoy the hell out of them, their productivity improves. Surprise, right? So that's that's what we do. And then, you know, it's 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 look like if you hire a craftsman, uh craftsperson, um, and then you constantly make it difficult for them to work and irritate them, they're not gonna do their best work. So that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're yeah. Yeah. Well, it's working. Uh, I appreciate you sharing some of that. I know there's a lot to it. And uh, knowing your heart for helping other people and developing people, I think you're going to appreciate this. You know, we have our tech for good commitment, right? We're donating $125,000 in scholarships to our IT leadership development program. And fun thing for us is today we get to, you, you have a chance to gift a seat in that program to one of the many nonprofits that you support. And I just wonder, is there somebody that comes to mind that you'd like to share that scholarship with? Yeah, first of all, thank you for doing this. This is such a blessing and um, good for you to do this. And um, I would, on behalf of our team, nominate Credit Builders Alliance. Um, it's a national nonprofit and it's dedicated to building, um, you know, the capability to get equity, you know, people who focus on equity, um, and credit bureaus um, to get together and and make uh, credit available to people who traditionally haven't gotten it. It, it really speaks to our um, our um, mission uh, of financial inclusion. It, it allows people to get into the credit ecosystem and and allows empowerment and impact. Um, and so um, we appreciate you uh, extending this and. Their CTO there is uh, uh, a wonderful lady, I think, who will really benefit from this program. So thank you. Outstanding. Yeah, what a great call. I've not not been aware of them, so I'm glad we're going to give them a shout out here. And the uh, the Credit Builders Alliance. Perfect. Well, Avi, we're uh, at the end of our time here. Good news for our audience, because I know they want to hear more, is you and I are going to spend some time uh, crafting a blog for CIO.com. So next week, uh, Go to the site, CIO.com, the Whispers page, and uh, we'll have some more great insights from Avi. But this has been such a such a gift, such a pleasure. Thank you for uh, being a light in our profession and uh, being a leader of leaders, being a developer of leaders, Avi, and, and for making the time to be with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. You're way too kind. I appreciate it. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.